John 3 is our text today. We've been working through different passages in this Advent series entitled, A Weary World Rejoices. So if you today are weary with the brokenness and the pain and suffering of this world and of your own life, you've come to the right place because you're going to see in this text the God of love who met a weary world with his love by giving his only son. It's the season of giving. Everybody wants to give the perfect gift or wants to receive the perfect gift. I had a dream the other night that my wife got me soccer referee and certification classes for Christmas. Uh, which really bugged me. And I was in the middle of this dream, and, and I knew I'm in a no-win situation because if I tell her I don't like this gift, she's going to be upset with me. I'm heartless. But if I receive the gift, then I lose too because I, although I did ref in high school, I was a center ref and an, an AR on the sideline. I, I know what it is to, to play in ref soccer, but I was so chafed by this gift because I'm thinking, why are you spending our money to to get me this gift that is only going to mean I'm in the middle of the field with people cussing at me and hating me, and where am I going to find the margin in time in life to, to be a referee now? Like, do, we, do we need extra money that bad that you're putting me up for that? I had no idea why she did it, but then I woke up, and uh, all was well. But here's what I want to say. We all want to receive the perfect gift, and we all want to give the perfect gift. And what you're going to see in our text today, that is, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you already have the very gift you desperately need and want. All that you could truly want is given to you in the perfect gift of Jesus the Son. It's the only gift you need this Christmas, I promise. Now, we live in a broken, weary world. And God says to you in the midst of the brokenness of this life, you're not alone. I gave my son who is the perfect gift. And this text, John 3, has what is without a doubt the most popular verse in all the Bible. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But do you know the context of John 3, 16? It's more than just a guy with billboards and a yellow sign at football games and bumper stickers. There's great significance in the context of John chapter 3. Do you know the context? It's a story, and we're going to read it now, of Jesus talking to a man named Nicodemus, who was a highly ranked, respected religious teacher who lived a very pious, moral life who knew the scriptures inside and out, but yet he didn't truly know. And Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus to reveal to him who he was. And I want you to read it with me. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know 
You are a teacher that has come from God because no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe when I speak of earthly th- of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now pause right here for a second. I learned something new this week. These next verses that are coming, we don't know if these are Jesus' words or John's words. Now, some of you have red-letter Bible that says that that's Jesus, but that doesn't really mean that. They're guessing too. But most scholars will say the words coming now are the words of John, their commentary on what Jesus has just said, and he's going to sum up the truth of the gospel to Nicodemus in these words right here. For God, verse 16, so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. Brothers and sisters, this is the very word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit, come as you promised and be our teacher the illuminator of our hearts and minds that we would see the love of God in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now I have two points that I wanna give you this morning, but I want you to add two sub-points to each of these points, one to each point. You look here at your bulletin, if you're, if you're a note taker, it says man's dire condition and God's divine compassion. Underneath point number one, I want you to add the words, or letter C, spiritual dependence. Spiritual dependence, letter C. And under point two, I want you to add letter D, look to the Son. 
Now, some of you are thinking, great, the sermon just got longer, and it probably did, so uh, sorry, but let's go through it. We first see man's dire condition, marked by the fact that he is in darkness, and he is, in, he is, he is also spiritually dead, and he is desperate for a work of the Spirit. First of all, man is in spiritual darkness. In John's gospel, he uses the theme of light and darkness a lot. Light represents truth and purity and Jesus. Darkness represents sin and evil and lostness. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now, he's a good man. He's a pious man. He's the, the teacher of Israel, Jesus says. He's sincere. He says, Rabbi, even though Jesus has not been formally trained, he gives him that respectful title of honor and says, you're a teacher, maybe not formally schooled, but we see from God the things you're doing and the things that you're saying. There's something significant about you, Jesus. And so Nicodemus, sincere, comes to Jesus, but he's in the dark. And no amount of teaching and training and no amount of law-keeping can make Nicodemus alive to the truth of who Jesus is. He is in spiritual darkness. Flip back over one page to chapter 1, 6 through 9. Listen to why this theme has already been set up. Chapter 1, verse 6, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through, all, through him, all might believe. He himself, John, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light, meaning Jesus, that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you are in darkness. You think you know God, but you don't. And as good and sincere and well-intentioned as you are and respectful and zealous, you, Nicodemus, are in darkness. Did you see what chapter 3, verse 19 said? It said, this is the verdict. People are in darkness. And then it says, the reality is we love the darkness. Think of how sobering that is. Men and women, all of us, are trapped in darkness apart from the grace, of God, uh, the grace of God, and we like the darkness. We like the materialism. We like the gossip. We like the lust. We like the hatred. We like the greed. We like the sexual immorality. It's part of who we are. We're in darkness, and we like it. But this shows us, doesn't it? The darkness that we're caught in, the darkness of the human heart, and Nicodemus in this encounter with God shows us how we in our dire condition are in darkness. But as Isaiah 9, 6 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. But before we get to the good news, we need to listen to the bad news even more. Nicodemus shows us we're not only in the darkness spiritually, we're also dead spiritually. Do you see... How three times in our text, John says that if you don't believe, you're condemned, condemned, condemned. That means you're going to die apart from Jesus, apart from the love of God, an eternal death because you're spiritually dead. 
And then John 3.16 says that God was sent his son into the world that we wouldn't perish. And then the text tells even more about what it looks like to be spiritually dead. He tells this story. Jesus speaks to Israel's teacher, Nicodemus, and he says, here's a story you would know. Remember Moses, Numbers chapter 21. Remember when the people of Israel were rebelling against God, they were complaining and they were hating God. And God sent fiery serpents as a sign of his judgment that that bit the people. And if the people got bit by the fiery serpent, they would die. But because God is just not only just and holy, he's also loving. He said, I'm going to show my mercy to my people. And I'm going to allow Moses to make this bronze serpent and, and hold it high on a pole. And if people will look at the serpent, they will be healed. But the people had to look up at the serpent on the pole or they would die. Over and over and over we see from this text, from Colossians 2 and from Ephesians 2, that we are dead, the Bible tells us, in our trespasses and sins. And the teacher, the leader of the Sanhedrin, didn't understand in his own case And I'm not sure people in our world do either, how we're trapped in spiritual darkness. We're spiritually dead as well. We can't earn our way to God by works of the law or keeping the law as Nicodemus would have thought he could. We must be born again. Nicodemus, even as spiritually and wise as he is, he he says, how can someone be born again? And and there's a lot of uh, interpretations for why he would have said that there. But the point is, he doesn't get it. He's in spiritual darkness. He's spiritually dead, as good as he is. And so Jesus says, as as verse 2 said, Nicodemus said, we, meaning we the religious ones, we the Pharisees, we see that you are a good teacher. Well, now Jesus reverses that and says, we... God the Father, the God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we, the people that are in the light, we say to you, you must be born again. So Jesus is is opening Nicodemus' eyes and heart to the truth of his real condition in spite of his perceived condition. And here Nicodemus is starting to see, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you know the Old Testament You've got to be spiritually cleansed by water and the Spirit. He's referring back to Ezekiel 36 and 37, where where God says in his covenant promise, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon you and sprinkle down the cleansing power of the Spirit. And so Jesus is saying here, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit, Nicodemus. You need regeneration, new life. You need a new heart where it was once a heart of stone. It will become a heart of flesh. You must be born again in order to come alive to the grace of God. Now, it's also very interesting that this is the necessity for everybody. The pronouns shift here. When Jesus says, You must be born again. He says, don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. He's saying, y'all. He's saying, everyone. It's a plural you. Every person on earth has this condition of spiritual darkness and spiritual death, and we cannot save ourselves. We are dependent upon the work of the Spirit. 
That's why Jesus refers to the wind here. He says the wind comes and goes, it does whatever it wants. Like the sovereign power of God. We can't dictate what God is going to do. God is like the Spirit. He works in ways we don't even see. But everyone, everyone must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't get it. How can someone be born again? And Jesus says, that's exactly the point. You can't do it. It must be done for you. You must be born again by the Spirit. Well, that's our dire condition. What about God's divine compassion? The Bible says to us that God did not leave us in our state of darkness and death, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, to understand the magnitude of the love of God for us in this verse, we have to understand who the objects of his love are. The the word here is world. It represents the divine totality of God's creation that is in rebellion against God. It represents, when, when God says that he loves the world, he's saying, I love fallen humanity. Jesus says in John 15, the world hates God, but our text says God loves the world. It's almost too hard to even comprehend the magnitude of the love of God against fallen humanity. It's astonishing. It's so great you struggle to believe it. And yet God loves you so much, he gave up his son. Now, we, we understand love by how much it costs people or the, 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 the de- great degree they're willing to go through to demonstrate love or the sacrifice. So when you get an incredible gift at Christmas and it blows your mind of how expensive it must be, you're blown away by the magnitude of the love because of generosity. Or if somebody made something and they spent years and years making it for you and they gave you this gift, you would be blown away by the effort. Or when you've been somewhere and someone surprises you and has come from a long distance away, you're blown away by the effort they showed. There's nothing more incredible than the fact that God sent his son and the fact that Jesus gave his life It is an indescribable gift. You are loved so much. It truly is astonishing. It's boundless, inexhaustible love for the world. Not even good people. Well, here's the good news. If you're sitting here today and you say, yeah, I've heard that God loves me, but I'm an addict. This this text says his love's big enough for that. If you're sitting here today and you said, I've cheated on my husband, God's love is big enough for that. His love's for the world. If you're here today and you say, I have an addiction to pornography, I can't break free of it, this text says that God loves the world. You're included in that. His love is big enough for that. I'm a thief. I've harmed people. I've had an abortion. I feel despised. I feel shame. 
John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. His love is big enough for you. You know, I think it was Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, that, that gave me this idea. But one of Satan's chief tactics for us is to make us doubt the love of God for us. We would think that Satan's at, he's working as hard as he can to trip us up in lust or, or to break up our marriage or uh, to cause us to be an addict or to, to uh, you know, cause us to be deadbeat dads or, or whatever these things would be that, that we struggle with. But actually, maybe Satan's primary role and what he spends day and night trying to do is to cause you to, to disbelieve how much God really loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And our text tells you that God gave life in his son. And our text tells you that the son is also the light of God. Did you see at the end of our text there? This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but everyone who does evil hates the light that Jesus is the light of the world and that there is life in his son. God has opened our eyes, removed the blinders to see that in Jesus Christ, those who walked in darkness now see the glorious light of the love of God. Think about this. Jesus descended into the darkness so that you could receive and see the light. And Jesus descended into death itself so that through his death you could have eternal light. Oh, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that he would give us Jesus, the Son, as light and life. Well, what are we supposed to do about it? Our text tells us that we're supposed to look to the Son do you notice that seven times it says that our response to the gift of the Son of light and love and life, our response is to believe. Seven times it says believe. Look to the pole. Look to Jesus up on the cross crucified for you. Look and believe. Whoever believes, John says, has eternal life. No matter who you are or what you've done, if you will look to the Son who is life and light, you will be saved, you will be born again. Our job is simply to believe. Let me illustrate this in two ways as we end up here, wrap up our time together this morning. The first is the thief on the cross. The Gospels tell us that there were two thieves on the cross. One's cursing Jesus. If you're really the Son of God, get us down from here. Save yourself and save us. Who, as we understand it that day, perished apart from Jesus, not seeing the light, separated because of the wrath of God in hell forever. That's why it's called eternal. But there was another man on a cross. And I steal from Alistair Begg when I tell you this, a short video thing that I've been showing everybody who's seen it. But Alistair Begg says there's this man on the cross. 
the other thief. And he, imagine getting to heaven one day. And they say to uh, this man who's there, uh, the thief, hey, uh, how come you're here? And the man's like, I, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really even know. Well, uh, they say, the angels are saying to him, uh, so tell us about the doctrine of justification. And the man on the cross is saying, doctrine of what? Uh, and so it, Alistair Beck says, so they call the other angels over. Come here, come here. There's this guy here. He doesn't even know why he's here. Uh, and the other angel goes, sir, uh, can you just tell us the books of the Bible? Can you tell us the, 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 uh, the Trinity? Explain the Trinity for us. And the guy's going, I got no idea what y'all are talking about. And then they say to him, and Alistair Begg does this so well, they say, then why are you here? And that man on the cross would say, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. All he did, remember the story? He looked to Jesus and said, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus said, paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. He looked to Jesus on the pole, on the cross, and he received by faith eternal life. That's how beautifully easy this is if you want Jesus today. One more, and it's our own Nicodemus. I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 19. I want you to see it for yourself. Flip back a few pages, John chapter 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. By the way, Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man who gave his own tomb for Jesus to fulfill what the Old Testament prophecies have said, that Jesus would be buried with a rich man. It's true. And then there's somebody else here, Nicodemus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, was secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. John doesn't want us to miss it. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. Now, don't miss this. Here's Nicodemus, religious leader, who was once in darkness, who now comes to Jesus, takes his body, and John makes sure we see it. The one who once came to him at night is now a believer in Jesus. He has received him by faith. How do we know that? Because Nicodemus, a pious, God-fearing, zealous Jew, in the midst of Passover weeks, week, is willing to defile himself by touching a dead body and identify with a crucified Christ. He has looked to Jesus too and believed by faith, and he has been born again. Your condition is that dire if you're outside of Jesus today. You are in darkness, and you are dead spiritually. But the love of God is so great for sinners that he has made a way that if you will receive Jesus, the gift of his son, and look to him by faith, you will be born again, born from above, spiritually 
reborn. Now, in closing, I just want to read a few verses of Ephesians chapter 2 that sums this all up beautifully from when we studied Ephesians this past year. Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ because of his great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then verse 8. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You have this Christmas, believer in Christ, the only gift you ever wanted and really needed in the person of Jesus the Son. God so loved the world that he gave his Son. Let's go to the table now and celebrate it. Would you pray with me? Father, would you, by your Spirit, remind us of how loved we are because you did not withhold your only Son but gave him up for us all. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.